Hello, and welcome to In Person, where we explore the world's most daring events and the people who make them happen. In case we haven't already met, I'm Brandon Rappelson. In this episode, we speak with Dana Paik, Senior Director of Global Experiences at Envision. Envision is a digital product design platform that powers the user experiences of brands like Airbnb, Amazon, HBO, IBM, Netflix, and Lyft. Interestingly, the company is 100% distributed, with over 1,000 employees working in 30 countries around the world. To reach their audience of designers, marketers, and otherwise creatives, Envision executes a global event strategy that is comprised of roughly 160 events a year. Fortunately, at the helm of Envision's event strategy is Dana Paik. Dana previously worked at Tableau, where she grew the annual Tableau conference from roughly 1,200 to 12,000 total attendees in four years. The success of Tableau conference in many ways mirrored the success of Tableau itself, which would go on to be acquired by Salesforce in 2019. Now, over the past three years at Envision, Dana has seen the company go through a similar trend of growth. This is all to say that Dana is very familiar with what it's like to be at a rapidly growing company with a rapidly growing events program. In this episode, Dana shares her UX-focused approach to events, what it's like to work as part of a globally distributed team, how to hire for a rapidly growing company, and what it means to lead with resiliency. I'll just say that I found Dana's vulnerability in discussing the professional challenges that she's faced and how she has overcome them to be truly inspiring. And I hope you will too. Okay, let's get to it. Everybody put your hands together because we are welcoming Dana Pick to the studio. Dana Paik is the Senior Director of Brand Experiences at Envision. Dana, it is so awesome to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for having me, Brandon. Very excited to be speaking to you today about Envision, your sort of design-focused approach to events, how you folks are scaling the company and the event strategy with it, and a bunch of other topics So my first question for you, Dana, is how did you get involved with events? Yeah, you know, I think like many people in events, it wasn't a direct route, though I suppose when I really think about it, it was in my blood to begin with. So not a total surprise I ended up here. I come from a long line of gatherers. My grandfather was in the restaurant business more as a liquor distributor, but spent a lot of time in restaurants when I was growing up. My paternal grandmother and my aunts have really perfected the art of the dinner party and had beautiful tablescapes when I was growing up that were just so dreamy and inspired me. And they really knew how to design where people sat so that conversation was meaningful. So I learned that at an early age. And then my mother came from the Philippines when she was nine and comes from a huge family. So at the center of our lives was always some kind of gathering, whether for a birthday party or holidays or just to be together. And then her sister, my aunt, had a catering business that growing up I was always a part of. But more intentionally in college, I actually didn't know what experiential marketing was and ended up as a PR major. And not because PR gave me jazz hands. It was more because I could carry the load. I had put myself through college and I had to make sure 
I kept my scholarship up. But that ended up being a really good move for me because early in my career in public relations, I worked for Edelman, which is a huge PR agency, and I was really fortunate to work on the MSN account, the Microsoft MSN account, and this is really dating me, but back then they didn't really have a consumer play. They were more of a B2B software company and they launched MSN Better with the Butterfly. And I had the chance to work on editorial roundtable with Bill Gates and launch this huge product in New York. And that's when I really got the bug to do events. After my Edelman experience and getting that introduction to PR, I parlayed that experience into a hybrid role with a few small companies where I was focused on all of our offline efforts. I worked for an online lead generation company in the education space, but I did all of our trade shows. And that's where I really got my feet wet. And then the universe provided for me and brought me to Tableau, where that was definitely a highlight of my career. And I'd spent five years as the lead producer on the Tableau customer conference. At the time when I joined, that was an event that was 1,200 people. And by the time I had left, it had grown to 12,000 people. And I was really lucky there because it was just on a platter, handed me an opportunity to create magic. So now here I am at Envision, where I head up our global experience team. Uh, When I started here, we were just a team of two, and we managed both internal as well as marketing events. Today, the team is 10 strong, and we manage about 150 events worldwide. Now, I know Envision as a very handy tool that we use here at Visibo. I know some other developers use it as well. But could you tell us a little bit about Envision and how events fit into the larger business strategy? Yeah, so a little bit about Envision is, uh, first, we recognize that the screen is the most important place in the world. Whatever your company does, whether that's sell a physical product or a virtual service, if your company was born digital or is becoming digital, chances are pretty good that your customer experiences are beginning, if not ending, on that device in their pocket or on their desk. And if you think about it, Brandon, in a given day, your own interactions could be checking your bank statement or uh, renting a movie, hailing a car ride. So... More and more companies are recognizing that they can win or lose with a simple swipe of the thumb, right? And that means if those digital experiences aren't great, they are bound to lose customers. And that's really where Envision comes in, is we help make those companies make really great digital experiences. So you can think of an Envision as like... an operating system for building digital products everywhere from ideation to creation all the way through the connected workflow to designer developer handoff. And the really interesting about that is we do all of that as a fully distributed company. What that means is we are completely remote. Our founders even are not sitting somewhere in HQ. They are sitting in their home offices, as are the other almost 1,000 members of Envision who are across almost 30 countries now, servicing 500 million users. So even our day-to-day is happening on a screen. Right. So that's huge. A very digital-focused company. And as you mentioned, the screen uh, is just critical to how we're engaging with all sorts of things, even events in some cases. And the fact that you're distributed is, is something that really stands out to me. What sort of challenges does that create for an events team when you are 
working with one another across the globe in some cases. I think on the events side, it's not as difficult as it seems because as many of your listeners know, you're road warriors, you're distributed by nature, even if your company has a headquarters, right? So being in events, you, you need to know how to be resourceful, get the information you need. And when you're not face to face, I think what makes it harder on the planning side is working with the different teams across the organization where information can be siloed. So you have to be completely proactive and aggressive about where you're going to go get that information. And for us, the way we do that or the way I do it is I'm a voyeur on every single Slack channel, Um, even if I think it has anything remotely to do with an event or can feed content into an event or it's about audience acquisition. I need help from the email team. I'm just lurking on those channels if I can't get in front of them day to day, face to face, because it's like you don't have the opportunity that you do in a traditional environment where you kind of hear through osmosis what's happening in an open environment or you walk by a conference room and, oh, what are all those people meeting about? I should probably be in there. I need to know about that. So you have to go out and get that information and pull it out of people because it's certainly not going to be pushed at you. For sure. And when we speak about events and how they help envision uh, advance business outcomes, what role do events play? So I I talked about how Envision recognizes that the screen is the most important place in the world, but we also recognize and really value that those digital experiences are being created and designed by humans for humans. So events is all about creating those human interactions to take the URL experiences, learn about those problems that you're trying to solve with those URL experience, IRL, and then take that back to the URL experience in a new design. And when we design our events, we think a lot about, well, what does it mean to have a human interaction? And there are two conditions that play into that. So to be human, one is to have a shared experience. How did you make them feel? You know, that should harken back to that Maya Angelou quote about people won't remember what you said, but they'll certainly remember how you made them feel. The other condition is around agency. So that's around intentions and thoughts. So if you think of an event, the way we do is, yes, it's a content channel, but the content serves as a framework for a shared experience and provides context to make a connection and make a new contact, right? So I'll go back to you really quick about why do attendees come to an event in the first place? There are three reasons, I think, is one, they want to come so that they leave smarter. They want to come to maybe leave more connected. And then they want to come to be more inspired to do their jobs better, faster, easier, or heck, maybe even find a new job. And when we can get the right mix of people in the room and we get the content right and we create the shared experience around the content and I can turn to you and say, hey, what do you think about that keynote? How are you applying it? Now we're having agency. Now we're having interactions and shared thoughts. And I think what happens in these events that we produce is actually the value is in the peer-to-peer learning more so than it is in that keynote. Okay. So the value is in connecting the different attendees to one another and creating an experience from there. Yeah. I mean, you have to have great content to have the attendees have found value in that to then dig deeper into it and learn from one another about what you take away from that. How did you apply that? 
in your world. And maybe then I can share with you how I've solved that problem and help you or vice versa. I see. Yeah. I don't know if you saw, there's an article that came out, I think in the past week, that kind of did a roundup of some of the big user conferences out there by Google and Apple and Facebook and also Salesforce. And the commentary there was how some of these conferences were sort of focusing more on them and uh, their product, while one of them was actually focusing on sort of creating these experiences that you're talking about, about putting uh, somebody on stage who can kind of speak more on eye level with the attendees. Yeah, you know, what's actually interesting about Envision's strategy around events is while like a lot of tech companies, we're looking at opportunity creation deal volume and velocity and the like, we don't get there through being product forward. We get there by focusing on the practices of design and the people behind creating those digital experiences. Because we find that if you're product focused, especially with designers, man, those guys, are they'll smell marketing a mile away and that's... <laughs> you're not going to achieve any of your goals if you're pushing product on them. Uh, they really want to come to find trust and find group therapy. <laughs> so you won't find a user conference like Dreamforce or like AWS reInvent. In fact, we are embarking on our first multi-day, multi-track program in Sydney here in a couple months. But it's more of a design festival and the focus is all around how do you elevate the craft of design and how do you help companies in emerging markets become more design mature. And oh, by the way, Envision has a platform that can also help you do that. But we're really all about becoming the nexus of all things digital product design. And if we can help design leaders scale their teams or help their teams become more mature or implement a design system or prototype and collaborate better, great. But we won't start with the product. So I know in our previous conversation, you you mentioned that all of this sort of embodies a sort of UX focus that Envision has with events. Could you share a little bit more about that? Yeah. So when you think about UX or product design, it's really about problem solving. And it's problem solving through empathy. And that's to solve business and human problems, hopefully delivering some delight along the way. And in that process of product design, they use a methodology called design thinking. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it was coined by the founders of IDEO, which is a well-known global design firm. And I won't go too deep into it, but basically design thinking, there's there's five, it's a five-step process. And first, the foundation is really understanding what those human needs are, empathizing with, in our case, or in a product case, users' pain points and really understanding what those are before you try to solve them. Then when you have analyzed and synthesized those observations through that empathy exercise, then you can really define the problem. And then once you define the problem, the fun begins. And this is ideation. This is where you're brainstorming all the different ways that you can solve those pain points in meaningful, purposeful ways. And then you get to the prototyping, right? So you just get something out there, which is the final stage is test. So in that five-step process, we look at that when we're solving for an event. Because an event is, I talked a little bit earlier, but it's a, it's 
a content channel, yes, about creating shared experiences and creating agency between the attendees that come. But it's really all about solving problems. How do you solve a business problem for the company, whether that's creating awareness or launching a product creating pipeline, et cetera. But for the attendee, what? why are they really coming? We have such an awesome responsibility. People are giving us their time and their energy to be there. How are we helping them leave smarter, more connected, more motivated, or very specifically solving a problem like, how do I scale my design team? And then when we understand that in the event, we know what activations we need to include. We know what content we need to make sure we're pushing forward. And it's even more tactically how do we think about the attendee journey once they're there and empathizing with that attendee, like especially designers who are really introverted? What does that feel like to come and not know anybody at the event? How are we welcoming them, quote unquote, into our home for the evening and handing them off to somebody and making a meaningful introduction so that they are already engaged before anything happens and they're not a wallflower just looking at their phone, which... I'm sure you've gone to events and you've mm-hmm. seen that. Or when they're queuing up in line, waiting for a drink, what's happening there? Are there conversation starters so that they don't feel alone? And so we really look at that process and we prototype and pressure test each of our events. We're only as good as our last event, and we're constantly pushing and using design thinking in our event design process. Great. So I, I think that's really cool and not something I've heard before, this sort of design thinking approach. From your perspective, how has the event strategy at Evision evolved over time? So when I started three years ago or so, our portfolio was 10 events for the year. (laughs) And I don't know that there so much was a strategy as it was more just community driven. Over time, we've tried to align the strategy with the different buyer's journey. What events do we need to produce to drive awareness, what events are really about driving education, and where are those bottom-of-the-funnel activities where we need to get executive buy-in and support. We're now, three years later, producing over 150 events. That's a mix of proprietary events that, again, focus on education. We have an arm called designbetter.co. So these are workshops that don't have anything to do with Envision again, but might be about the practices of design, whether that's designing your design org, design sprints with Jake Knapp, design maturity, etc. We also do a number of field programs. So that might be talking about the business impact of design and teaching designers how to have business level conversations and how do they get a seat at the proverbial table uh, to third party events that help us drive at our awareness. And then I mentioned those executive level programs that we do, which is through our design leadership forum program, which are really elevated dinners that bring design leaders from brands you know and love from all over the globe to essentially have group therapy. Hmm. Um, They're facilitated discussions, but they're really hard conversations that they're trying to solve that they don't get that kind of connection elsewhere. And I, you know, a side note and a personal plea. I would love to see something like this in the events industry for event leaders. Noted. Yeah, I think it's a it's a it's a white space. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Well, you know, it sounds like uh, over the time that you've been at Envision, the company has gone through uh, a, a rapid cycle of scale to go from 10 events to around 150 events events that are for a number of of different use cases, events that are tied to your uh, sort of sub-brand, all of this stuff that's going on. 
from the perspective of someone who's part of the events team, how has the team itself changed or scaled with the company? Uh, It's changed a lot. And I think it's how we've designed the team. So when I first came on, everybody was an event manager. But one of the key critical hires I made that has really been instrumental to scaling is an event operations manager. Uh, Her name's Jessica Sapien and is amazing, but don't anybody go and try and poach her from me. (laughs) Um, But her role really is she, one, owns the tech stack, but she also owns how do we build repeatable, scalable models. She owns audience acquisition, anything really that is cross-programmatic that I think of her team as the backbone of the event. And then we have our production team, that is kind of like the central nervous system, making sure like they're getting all the things, all the logistics and operations to put on the event in place. And then we have, you know, strategy and programs that are like the heartbeat. What's the why behind the event? What's the purpose? What are we trying to achieve? They're the ones that are really going through that design thinking exercise to think about what's the problem we're trying to solve and how are we going to do it? And how do we know we were successful? And how do we know that the event is even the answer to the problem. So you've seen a number of new hires joining the team, many of which are in these specializations that didn't exist beforehand. My question is, what's it been like for you to sort of shift from a more individual contributor role to this role where you're kind of now pulling the strings a little bit and making these key hires and directing the strategy of the organization? You know, in full vulnerability and transparency, it's been pretty tough because it was a mental shift I had to make. I started my career in public relations and quickly through PR realized I didn't love smiling and dialing. But the thing that I did love is when we were launching events and I was designing experiences. So what happens is you get really good at your craft, that thing that brings you passion. And the better you get at it, you are promoted and you're recognized for your work, but you move further and further away from that thing you really love. Mm. And what I had to learn and have newfound passion and joy in, but that it, it, it was a little struggle to get there, is that I can amplify my effect in designing events by coaching and mentoring a team. I can't scale myself that quickly unless I have a really strong team behind me and or beside me more accurately. And my job now is to design experiences for my team who then now are designing really amazing, impactful experiences for our attendees. Wow. And I know that throughout this process, there being more events. Envision, again, it's just seeing some really fantastic growth. You mentioned in the past that it sort of creates this need to work through resiliency. I was wondering if you could speak on that a bit more. Yeah. Resilient leadership is really knowing how to help your team work through, around, under, over ambiguity, operating in the gray, operating where you just might know half the information or because we're hyper growth, strategy may change. We're getting new information and program direction changes. And to do that, to show them how to work around and not get burned out or not be discouraged, I think it means 
or I don't think, I know it means for me to be a resilient leader, I've got to show up with my whole self. And that means showing my vulnerabilities and owning what I don't know and doing check-ins with them. One thing that I have found that has helped be a resilient leader is to remain insatiably curious with them. So every week I do a checkout. It's a really simple checkout with each of my direct reports, and it's just four questions. And the first question is, what brought you joy at work this week? What brought you pain? Mm. How did I show up for you? Both good, bad, and ugly. Uh, I think it's important I get that feedback, and I'm really curious about how I'm showing up for them so that they can do their jobs better, faster, easier, and they're showing up with the best version of themselves. Mm. And then the last question I ask uh, is, how do you need me to show up next week? That's great. And when I have an understanding of where I stand with them and where they're at, it's uh, easier to support each other when times get tough. And in events, man, those tough times are more often than not. Just the nature of the job. Definitely. (laughs) So many last minute changes so many variables, managing the expectations of so many different stakeholders. Yeah, stuff not happening, things like totally out of your control and you still need to find a way to make it happen. Right. So I really appreciate you sharing that. And I I think that's an important thing that I I know I personally, from just hearing that, I'm going to benefit from. I want to uh, take a step back and uh, look at the role that technology plays in assisting you. I know that you mentioned that you recently brought on an ops hire who's helping you out in a number of good ways and totally cannot be poached. Yeah. How does technology assist in scaling events and you know, how does it sometimes hold us back? Uh, there are, are two important roles I think technology plays. One is how does it help us build scalable, repeatable models so we're not reinventing every time, especially with the speed of which we're working. Also, technology in terms of how we can collect the data we need to inform decisions we're making about how we modify the event or even decide if the event should remain in the portfolio. So that's everything from your online registration tool to your on-site registration tool to an event app The other part that technology plays that I think is important is how does it amplify the attendee experience with purpose, which is a really important caveat. The hard part about especially the first one is that this stuff is not easy. It's not easy to integrate to your systems, whether that's Salesforce, your marketing automation platform, and then you are competing for resources, both in time, energy, and money from different stakeholders across the company. So you have to do a really good job of selling the benefit and how not only does it benefit the events team, but how it's going to benefit the org as a whole. And while you got to make a pretty sizable investment up front, the return we'll see looks like X. From an attendee perspective and how you scale your event, it's more about continuing to surprise and delight your attendees and make it a more memorable experience, but it's not just for the sake of having technology there. So not getting distracted by the shiny new thing like, oh, let's just have these VR goggles here. But why? How does that go back to the purpose of the event? An example I'll give that when I was a lead producer at Tableau, uh, it was one of my first jobs where I really cut my teeth as an event manager. I worked on the Tableau conference. And the last one I did was at the MGM hotel in Vegas, and our keynote was in the MGM Grand Garden Arena. And I can't remember who brought it to me, but somebody said, oh, hey, check out these 
light up bracelets. They're so cool. Oprah did it at her event that was just here and Taylor Swift or somebody had it at their concert. I'm like, cool. Why? <laughs> like, what are we going to do with that? And they're like, I don't know. It's just, it just looks pretty. <laughs> and I said, well, you know what would be really cool? So Tableau, for those that don't know, is a data visualization company. So they help people see and understand data. And this is like the Super Bowl for data nerds, this event. And it's really about how do you immerse people in the data? And so I thought, okay, well, what if we could program it that the MC asks how many people are from Seattle, Washington, and it lights up green, and then says how many people are from New York, and it lights up blue, and then how many people are from Europe, and it lights up red. You get where I'm going with this. Mm. And what happens is we then would have created a live visualization using technology that everyone was immersed in. Now, the wow. thing is, we didn't end up using it because moving forward with that idea because of time and money and resources and integrations and all the rest that made that difficult. But it just... It would have been cool if we could have done all those things. Yeah, it would have. <laughs> no, no, I really appreciate that perspective on on really making the technology deliberate and really adding to the attendee experience. I know there are all sorts of trends and tools out there. Uh, it's just a matter of figuring out what speaks to your audience and how to present it in such a way that it does. And, and that it doesn't get a in the way of the experience, just like with a lot of software that's developed. You want the software to just be invisible, right? So sometimes the technology not necessarily be invisible, but you don't want to introduce something that creates a lot of friction that then causes frustration and then dampens the rest of their experience. 100%. I, I want to ask you another question about scaling. And that is, you know, what qualities do you look for when you're hiring uh, new members of your team? Uh, this is a good one. While, of course, it's great to have somebody who's been in the trenches and knows event management, I often look really to three key qualities. One of them, first and foremost, being are they a problem solver? So throughout our conversation, we've talked a lot about events being about problem solving, whether for the attendee or for the company or in a given moment in the event, you're just solving problems. And if you can't creatively think your way through that, you're just not going to have a long life in this field. So I really look for people who are just natural problem solvers. I also call problems opportunities. Problems aren't problems, they're <laughs> opportunities. So how do they how can they reframe the problem to to capitalize on it really? I also look for people who have a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. There's this great book by a woman named Carol Dweck called Mindset. And the difference is people with a growth mindset are curious and they don't see failures as failures. They really see them as learning opportunities. Whereas people with fixed mindsets think like, this is the way I am. This is, these are my skills and I'm constantly needing to prove myself. And they have often what is a victim versus player attitude, right? Like that life's happening to them instead of taking the ball and running whatever direction they think makes the most sense. Uh, so I'm really looking for growth mindset, players, not victims, problem solvers. And I guess there's another one is people who are diplomatic. Events, again, we've talked about how tough they are and it's not transactional and they, your success relies on so many different people and so many different teams and relationships matter. So people have a keen and authentic understanding of that. They have a place on my team anytime. Wow. 
So Dana, I was actually hoping to work for the events team at Envision at some point in the future. <laughs> Say I was gonna, you know, interview for you folks. What might be a question you would ask me to sort of suss out some of this? Yeah, at, at full disclosure, I ripped it off Julie Zhu, who is a one of the lead product designers over at Facebook. She started as an intern there, and um, she's a legend. And the question she asked is, take me through like a year ago or two years ago, a really challenging or difficult situation or problem or project you worked on. And the candidate will talk you through that. And then she asks the really important question, which is now knowing what you know now, what would you have done differently? And the more introspective a person gets, the more self-aware what their contributions were and where they might have made different decisions about their contribution to what happened versus somebody who will give you examples around, well, this team didn't do that or this partner didn't show up the way they needed to. It's very, very telling in growth mindset or fixed mindset. That's huge. Okay, thank you. Noted? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I want to ask you one more question that's a bit more on the event side because I think you have something really cool to share here. And then I want to sort of transition the conversation to another topic. So last events-related question. I know that at Envision, at your events, it's really important to, as you said before, sort of lead with this design focus, this content focus approach. But at the same time, that business side, that business case, those business goals for the event are very real. What are some lessons you've learned and how to balance that brand and sales-driven side of events? And then I'd also love to hear a little bit about how you tie in sponsorships. Yeah. So on the product side, of course, at the end of the day, I think we're all selling software, right? So how you authentically go about doing that. So we've evolved our strategy to start introducing product if, in fact, it is complementary to the content. So an example is we run a workshop with these uh, design celebrities in their own right around design systems management. Envision happens to have a design systems management tool. And so during lunches and breaks, we also will showcase Envision's DSM tool. Okay. So that's how we've started to uh, bring the product into the conversation, but not lead with it, which is has been my experience working at companies like Tableau, who disruptive product, cult-like community, but very, very product-focused going into the events. I see. Uh, Envision, disruptive product, cult-like community, but we're really focused on practice and people. And oh, by the way, we have this platform that can help you scale too. Your second question about sponsorship is really interesting. The unique take we have on it, one of my favorite events, it's a really great example for you, is this event called Within, which is a retreat for women senior leaders in design. And it's no surprise that the organizer, Mia Bloom, is a former design lead at Pinterest, but she has designed this program with so much empathy and intention for these women and folks who identify as women. Very inclusive program. What you won't find at this event, though, is logo land. You won't see Envision or any sponsors' logos everywhere. You will not see our product placed anywhere or demos then, for that matter. <clears throat> you won't see us 
hosting a session that talks about Envision. What you will find is our contribution is how do we elevate that experience for those women at the retreat and create an experience that draws a deeper relationship and connection to Envision. So what we've done the last couple of events with our sponsorship there is we've brought in a Reiki healer. Uh, It's an energy healer and a tarot reading. And what has happened is she has become such a part of the fabric of that event. And these women have developed their own relationships with her that have carried on and transcended the program. And when they think of their work with her, they think of Envision as a company that cares about the whole person, not just the designer creating a digital product. So what what that creates then is brand love and affinity. I love that example. I was hoping you'd share that one. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an amazing event. I feel really privileged to have been a part of it. And she tapped into something really powerful. Okay, so the, the last topic I want to touch on today and in, in our final moments together is about uh, the work-life balance slash blend. And I know at Envision, as you mentioned, it's a distributed workforce, which definitely creates a unique approach but I know, for instance, that you know you're you're based up in Seattle, and you've had the opportunity to move around a little bit with work as part of that. Could you speak on how you sort of approach the the work life blend? And I know that what we talked about before, there isn't necessarily like a clear solution, but I'm really curious to to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, I love that you continued to call it work life blend. I think for so long. I was chasing this notion of a work-life balance and always really feeling that I was falling short in achieving such balance because I think it truly is a blend. In a given day, especially now that I work remote, one moment I can be working, but I can be a very functioning member of this household. My husband will probably be clapping as he hears this because <laughs> I I'm here and can contribute more whether that's like just before hopping on a conference call I can s- swap the laundry out or more meaningfully uh, I can take 10 minutes to go walk and get my kids and and bring them back or there's a recognition especially in a remote environment that we're all adults we know what needs to get done there's nobody watching over our shoulder it becomes very apparent really really quickly whether or not you're doing your job so There's just also this recognition that sometimes it's about life or work falling out of balance. And when I'm in high season for events, work needs 150% of my time. But then there are moments at home, you know, where we've had family health issues or my kids need me more, that the pendulum swings the other way. So I guess it's more about balancing the imbalance. In the more profound way, what Envision has provided me and my family is that I look quite literally can live and work wherever I want. And I have two daughters that are now 10 and 7. And my husband and I had this conversation about, wow, what a gift Envision has given me that I don't have to be in Seattle to do what I do. And we very intentionally wanted to design our life around collecting experiences and memories and not things. So we sold all of our stuff in Seattle and moved to Puerto Rico. It put me closer to time zone wise to my team in Europe, closer to my team on the East Coast, still got ample coverage with my team on the West Coast. And we could live on the beach. Oh my gosh, amazing. (laughs) But the kicker there is we moved to Puerto Rico four days before Hurricane Maria. So 
as soon as we got to Puerto Rico, we had to figure out how we were going to leave the island and talk about an exercise in resiliency. And because my husband and I had just a strong partnership and resolve and resources and quite frankly, privilege, we were able to get off the island. It was really cinematic and by the skin of our teeth. But we had a conversation with the family. Do we go back to Seattle and just settle? And hey, we tried. And my girls were like, heck no, we haven't gone on our adventure yet. So they really helped me and Brian understand how to embrace the detours. And so because Envision, again, fully remote, I quite literally was working in the car on the road. And my husband quickly designed a new itinerary for us where we just followed the sun and (laughs) crisscrossed the country. And we tied it to where I needed to be stateside at events. And my team was incredibly gracious. So I didn't do any overseas programs. I did all the domestic ones. And we just designed our itinerary around where I needed to be for work. Wow. Uh, So pretty unique experience. One that certainly was life-changing. I I just think that's so freaking cool. And uh, a wonderful ex- uh, experience for your daughters as well. Okay, so uh, final question is, we spoke a lot today about scaling and about some of the u- unique challenges that you and your team are addressing as the team and the company grows larger. What's one piece of advice you have for someone in your position who is scaling a team? Uh, work with what you do know. I think when... Things are moving as quickly as they are here. Where my team's not the only one scaling. The whole company is, and different teams are scaling. I think it's important to start with the 70%, or what we say around here is the bad version. Just get your idea on paper. Get the thoughts, the plan, a high-level strategy on paper for your different stakeholders to react to. Don't wait till you have it perfectly tied up in a neat little bow because by the time you get there, that train has left the station. And that's what introduces churn and actually slows you down. So start with your bad version. Be uh, insatiably curious. Uh, give them something to react to. I love it. And, and prototype and iterate. Yeah, would just embrace the Envision product ethos. <laughs> Boom. There you have it. Uh, <laughs> excellent. Well, Dana, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. It's It's been really, really rewarding for me, and I'm sure our listeners will find it to be as well. So thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Brandon. Hope to see you in person somewhere. Another huge thanks to Dana for sharing her experiences with us today. On a personal note, wow, it has been such a gift getting the chance to speak to all the amazing guests we've had on the show so far. I just have to say, if you've enjoyed one episode or several, if you found these discussions we've had to be of value, you can help us spread the word by sharing in person with your colleagues and friends. You can also help by subscribing and leaving a glowing review on iTunes. It really helps a lot. As always, if you have any feedback on how the show could better speak to your needs as an events or marketing professional, or if you have any suggestions for topics that you'd like to see us cover, send us a message at in-person at If there's someone in particular you'd like us to interview, let us know by using the guest submission form at inpersonpodcast.com. Okay, until next time, I'm Brandon Raffleson, and this has been In Person.